Hello and welcome to week 19 of From the Basement Bar podcast. We just witnessed the culmination of the college football season ending with a bang and the monkey being ripped off Kirby Smart's back and being tossed away like Bryce Young's interception to end the game. Not only was this a redemption moment for Smart, but a beautiful feel-good story of QB Stenson Bennett blossomed. And the generations of dog fans who waited 41 long years finally got to avoid the ridicule from their rivals on their championship drought. It was, a fan, it was a fantastic ending to a fantastic season. We truly got to witness the two best teams in the country duke it out and each through their blows. But Georgia, they just had a bit more in the tank to finally take down the mighty Crimson Tide. Once the rematch was set, all of us college football fans just wanted one thing. We prayed for that one thing, and that was just a good game. Well, the two powerhouses from the SEC delivered. We are in the midst of an absolute golden era of dominance from the southeastern region of this country. The South is just different, and they have a stranglehold that does not look to be loosening anytime soon. If you're a hater of Southern football, uh, which basically just means you're jealous, you'll need to you know, either up your therapy visits or just come to accept the best athletes, the best players, the best coaches, the best fan bases, and the best of quite literally everything that has to do with college football resides in the South. Since the Florida Gators started this, uh, this run in 2006, every national championship winning team has come from the South with the lone exception of Ohio State once. Let's just run through the list real quick. 2006, you had the Florida Gators. Uh, or 2007, LSU. 2008, Florida again. 2009, Alabama. 2010, you had Auburn with Cam Newton. 2011, Alabama again. 2012, Alabama Crimson Tide repeats again. Then, 2013, you don't have an SEC school, but you got a Southern school in Florida State Seminoles with Jimbo Fisher, Jameis Winston. Uh, 2014 was the lone exception that we talked about, and that was the Ohio State Buckeyes, uh, who who were a great team with Ezekiel Elliott that year, uh, beat Alabama. Then 2015, uh, SEC gets back on track uh, with an Alabama win. 2016, you got another ACC school in Clemson, which is from the Carolinas there. That is the southeastern region of football. It might not be the SEC, but then 2017, you got another Alabama Crimson Tide victory. You you know, we hear that a lot. You're going to hear that a lot. 2018, Clemson uh, comes back and does it, uh, takes over in 2018. Then you got the Joe Burrow year with Jamar Chase and probably the best football team ever assembled in college football history in LSU winning in 2019. Ed Orgeron's one anomaly as a coach. Uh, besides his basic 500 record, essentially, he did get that win uh, in 2019. So that's another victory for the South. Then we know the story, 2020, 2021, you have Alabama and Georgia. So there you have it. It's just a string of Southeastern, of the Southeast of this country winning national championships every year. It's a straight dominant performance uh, and it's not ending soon like I said it's just not going to end soon uh, I, I don't know how you stop this freight train at this point the recruiting chops of these schools and the amount of money being poured in is not possible to compete with on a yearly basis Ohio State some years can hang um, 
with, with these schools, and that's due to them being able to recruit like a Southern school. But other than that, there's not a single team from the Pac-12, Big 12, or Big 10 outside of Ohio State, obviously, that has the talent and the level of coaching to compete. This is not changing, folks. Get used to it. These kids want to go to the NFL, and when you check out the NFL draft, the majority come from these schools. It does not make sense to go play against weaker competition with worse facilities, with less diehard fan bases, and the crucial less TV airtime. People complain about a bias from the media and the pollsters, but it's a bias because it is just now, it's now just a fact. This is where the king of college football resides. Until a few other teams from other parts of the country can come along, this narrative will live on. But let's let's get into what took place Monday night between Georgia and Alabama, and then we'll move on to some other topics in the college football sphere. Um, but first, our drink of choice today, and we're, we're, we're going a little something different that we haven't done, uh, and that's because I'm recording this a little bit earlier in the day, but I got some Baileys in my coffee, some coffee with Baileys, uh, a little more than I normally would do just to get ready for this podcast. I don't do it often, but when I do, I do like it. I do like it a lot, and it's got me rolling here today. All right, so let's jump in to what took place in the Natty Championship. Now, when when looking at the first half, you felt this was the type of game Nick Saban and Alabama, they were fine playing. This was totally fine with, with Nick Saban playing this type of game. The Tide defense constantly had Stenson Bennett and the Georgia offense behind the sticks in long yardage situations. Which Georgia offense, it's not designed for, hell, basically there's no offense designed for multiple situations of second and 10 plus and third and longs, you know, that, that the, and the third and longs that followed, especially, you know, when you're going up against a Saban coach team. There's not really much, um, you know, that, that is done to prepare for those situations against such a well-coached defensive team. Um, the saving grace turned out to be the dog's Red zone defense. They stymied and never broke uh, with Bryce Young and Brian Robinson Jr. and crew who were driving when they were inside the 20. The other big break for Georgia came with Jameson Williams tearing his ACL, leaving Bryce Young without his two 1,000-yard receivers in Williams and John Mechie, who, who had been lost weeks ago and we knew was not going to play in this game anyway. And the chemistry that was left over with the remaining targets was just not there. But when I, when I say leftovers, we're not talking about scrubs. We're still talking about five-star type of players. That's what Alabama has you know, in their depth chart. You take out some five-stars, new five-stars come in. But in this moment, against this Georgia D, Young needed his top playmakers to keep pace. And the second half, it opened up with Brian Robertson Jr. barreling down on the Georgia defense. And I tweeted out, if Bama gets Robinson Jr. going, it's game over. Unfortunately for Bama... That was the only real glimpse of Robinson Jr. we saw the rest of the way. The Georgia front and the linebackers led by junior N'Kobe Dean just closed the running gaps and matched up just about as well as you possibly can with the big boys of Alabama up front. Um, It took some time, though, for the Georgia offense to finally get anything going. The Bama D-line, led by nation's sack leader Will Anderson Jr., were dominant at the point of attack. Will Anderson's first step, It is so quick. It is one of the quickest you will find in all of football, college or pro. 
And I spoke about this in previous episodes, but it was an absolute travesty, travesty that Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan was invited to the Heisman ceremony over Anderson Jr. There was just no question Will Anderson was the best defensive player in the country for the whole year. And it really wasn't even close. I mean, just look at the level of production and impact Anderson Jr. had versus Hutchinson when playing Georgia. And I don't mean just going to look at the box score and the stat sheet there. That never tells the full story when we're talking about a defensive edge rusher and their true impact on the game. Hutchinson was getting pancaked while Anderson Jr. was off the ball like a missile. Just go back and look at it. Watch the tape. Anderson Jr. is a difference maker. Aiden Hutchinson was put on his ass. In the end, however, Will Anderson, he was just not enough. And the real turning point in this game, where it just felt like momentum was shifting, happened with two back-to-back plays. The first being a blocked Bama field goal by the big Paul of Jalen Carter, and then immediately turning around James Cook on the first offensive play, breaks a tackle at the line of scrimmage, a poor diving-at-the-legs arm type of tackle after Will Anderson forced to the inside, um, uh, his name is escaping me, came and filled the gap but couldn't fill it the correct way. James Cook broke that tackle at the point of, uh, at the line of scrimmage there and barreled for 67 yards. Um, he just bolted down the field to finally set up the first TD of the game. Now, the game certainly wasn't over, but you just felt something in your gut at this point. Like, like shit, Georgia might actually do this. Now, this led to an arrangement of circumstances that ultimately culminated with Stenson Bennett etching his name in Georgia football glory forever. We're talking about a guy who walked on at Georgia, left for Juco, came back just to be buried on the depth chart behind higher-ranked quarterbacks, and um, and he he did not possess the measurables of your typical successful quarterback, except in one area, and that area was his heart and determination. His story, it will be talked about in college football for years. And it will certainly be talked about in Georgia football history forever. Um, now, coming into this game, just based off previous history, we were guaranteed one, at least one, Stetson Bennett bad turnover moment. The question would be, how big would that turnover moment be? This occurred um, deep in Georgia territory. And to Bennett's credit, it was a bit of a controversial ruling by the refs. Um, the Bama front, as they had been, They just got pressure quick, forcing Bennett. You know, he rolled to his right there. And instead of recognizing the speed at which Christian Harris was closing in on him and throwing it away, he held on it for a few split seconds too long. And in those split few seconds, a fumble was forced. Now that set up one of the most nonchalant and unintentional uh, fumble recoveries that I still can't believe Brian Branch got his foot to stay inbounds while catching the ball all while not even trying because he clearly thought it was an incomplete pass. I think most of us kind of thought it was an incomplete pass. I think most people in the stadium thought it was an incomplete pass. Um, the whole situation was just bananas. Uh, but Branch did somehow keep his toe off, you know, off that white part of the turf while catching the ball, and they did roll it a turnover and a fumble recover recovery for Alabama. This time, Bryce Young made the Bulldogs pay with a TD throw. 
That ended up being the last impactful moment we saw out of the Alabama offense for the rest of the night. It was all the Stetson Bennett shining moment show until the confetti rained down. Um, What followed were two legacy-making drives that were capped by touchdown throws from Bennett. The first being a beautifully thrown deep ball on what was mentally recognized by Bennett to be a free play as Alabama jumped off sides. Bennett displayed his cerebral prowess, one that he has been lauded for, one that we have we have talked about that he kind of makes up for those physical inefficiencies, and he recognized the single coverage on the outside, and he just let freshman, freshman Adani Mitchell go up and make a play, and a play is what he made. Now, the second TD throw in consecutive drives, this all but sealed the first Natty title for Georgia in 41 years. Uh, after driving his field down, after driving the team, you know, his offense down the field, Bennett found star tight end Brock Bowers on third and one who caught the ball and did the rest, rumbling into the end zone from 15 yards out. Bryce Young, he had one more chance to have an epic moment. And you thought there was a quarterback that could do it with the lack of uh, star power that he had with him. You thought Bryce Young, you know, there was still a chance that he might be able to pull something off, some type of crazy Alabama magic. Uh, But it was just not to be, as he he threw up a bad ball, most likely due to that lack of communication and chemistry with his receivers that was picked off and taken to the house. Cementing the victory for Georgia. Um, all this with Kirby Smart, Kirby Smart in the background showing off his 42-inch vertical jump as the realization of that win was coming to fruition. It was a wild scene from there on as the barks from the dog nation lit up Indianapolis and the chaos just totally took over down in Athens, Georgia. Stetson Bennett was left in tears and Georgia finally got their moment. Now, when taking into the account of the totality of the entire season, this was a fitting championship victory. As Georgia, they were the clear best team all year long. Uh, you know, the hiccup in the SEC championship game might have been the best thing to happen to them, really. You know, K- Kirby has has the recruiting in place to really keep this up. Could we possibly be seeing a changing of the guard finally taking place? I mean, how long is Nick Saban in Alabama going to reign supreme forever? You know, could this be that moment? Time will tell. Let's jump into some other things happening around the college football world. Now, also someone made an appearance at the national championship game, and that was Andrew Luck, an Andrew Luck sighting. I feel like I haven't seen Andrew Luck in, in, in literally forever. You, you almost forget the guy was an NFL quarterback. It, it was such a short stint, uh, inter, in, interception-filled stint in the, in the NFL, in my opinion. But, I mean, he looked different. He, he, he just looked like he crawled out of a bunker on Iwo Jima back in World War II. In World War II. He, and he looked bad. He was scrawny and neck beardless. It was a it was an odd odd looking man, in an odd scenario as he's standing there with RG three, which RG three looks you know he's well put together. RG three always looks good. Um, he might not have been able to play football that good in the NFL, but RG three looks good, and he has turned into a damn good broadcasting commentator. And, and when looking at those two, they came out the same year. 
it's it's just it was just an odd nostalgic feeling of how how fantastic and great they were in college coming into the NFL. They both had solid rookie years. RG three won that run the uh, rookie of the year, uh, offensive rookie of the year that year in the NFL. And uh, Andrew Luck Luck looked like he was going to be building something special in Indianapolis. You know his career, both careers were cut short. RG three's due to injury. Andrew Luck's due to him not wanting to play football anymore. And uh, I'm not sure what he's doing, but um, he, he looked different. Let's just, we'll just leave it at that. He looked different. <laughs> All right. Speaking of other quarterbacks, you know, quarterbacks that are currently playing in college football, we have Caleb Williams rumors swirling. And it's start, the talk of him joining Lincoln Riley at USC is prompting more whining from the Oklahoma fan base. And this fan base just can't seem to get over being dumped. They have turned into the scorned lover who reveals way too much on social media. And it's clear they're having some type of mental break. Uh, we, 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 they still haven't even reached that point where they pretend they don't hurt anymore. And they enter into the, uh, you know, the, this is my bitch era, 2022 bullshit. <laughs> you know, you, they dominated the big 12. Good for you. Oklahoma, good for you. You dominated the Big 12 for a decade, but you're about to be playing with the big boys, so maybe lower your expectations here a bit. And Williams, he's clearly the prize of the transfer portal, but not too far off is a new addition to the transfer portal, and that's quarterback Jackson Dart, who is now transferring out of USC, away from Lincoln Riley. And I I really think the rumors of a Williams-Riley reunion force this move. And remember, Dart is a five-star player who got solid playing time this past season with USC uh, when uh, Slovis, Kendon Slovis, went down with injury. Who Slovis, we talked about, uh, transferred to Pitt, who's going to try and recreate what Kenny Pickett did there. And uh, Dart, he's a big boy. Standing at 6'3", 215 from Kaysville, Utah, he put up 1,353 yards and nine TDs and only five INTs to go along with it uh, for the Trojans over six games. This could be the guy that Notre Dame finally pulls in. We'll have to see, but it would be a great get and a great move for a new coach uh, uh, of the Fighting Irish there in Marcus Freeman. Uh, let's move away from the transfer portal. And let's get into some of the rec- more recruiting news of uh, you know high school kids coming into the fray. The Under Armour All-American game occurred recently, and that featured a ton of future college football stars. I think we might have had the most uh, five-star and ESPN top 300 players ever play in this this year's edition of the game and, and florida got a big commit billy napier just just right before kickoff there you know how they announced the uh their commit throughout the game well one of them did it right before kickoff and that was the brother of former clemson star and current jacksonville jaguar and um it was four-star running back trevor Etienne, the brother of travis Etienne. Um, and it somewhat surprised people selecting Gators over Clemson and home state LSU. And they might not be stopping there. As Billy Napier tries to flex his recruiting muscle with a visit now he's getting from five-star linebacker Harold Perkins. You know, they're still the Gators are still at the bottom of the current ranking, recruiting rankings in the SEC. But signs, they look to be pointing in the right direction in Gainesville. Uh, I, I foresee something happening and a turnaround being quick. 
Currently, the SEC occupies the top three spots in the team recruiting rankings on 24-7 Sports, my favorite go-to recruiting ranking spot, with Texas A&M leading the way with six five-star players. Jimbo Fisher continues to know the right things to whisper in these recruits' ear, um, but it still has not translated to the type of success you would expect on the field as of yet. Alabama, as usual, is near the top spot, you know, sitting sitting right there at the number two ranking, highlighted by the number one edge rusher in Jeremiah Alexander and the number three quarterback in Ty Simpson. Then right there on the heels is that reigning national title winner, the Georgia Bulldogs, with five total five-star recruits. Uh, their biggest signing being the number one ranked athlete in the country in Malachi Starks from Jefferson, Georgia, hometown product. The rich are getting richer. And this goes back to my opening point at the beginning of the episode. The recruits know where they need to go to win and where they need to go to move on to the next level. When you recruit this well for this long, you're just bound to win national titles eventually. You got to think the next SEC school to finally get over the hurdle will be Jimbo Fisher and the Aggies over the next couple of seasons. They have just brought in too much talent to not eventually put it all together. It just, that just is what it, it's feeling like. It's feeling like Texas, Jimbo Fisher's too good of a coach to not have this translate to on-the-field success. And uh, we don't know what's going to happen with Nick Saban. Like I said, a change in the guard yeah, it might be a, might be a little too early to talk about that. Um, but, but, you know, with this type of level of recruiting, you're going to win games, and you're going to win national titles. Now let's take a look ahead at what's to come in future episodes of From the Basement Bar podcast. So now that we have come to the conclusion of the college football season, we will be shifting things a bit for upcoming episodes over the next few months. Every year I put together a scouting report on the top 15 to 20 QBs exiting the college ranks and trying their hand at the NFL level. And I got to say, last year's report were proven pretty damn accurate. I graded Zach Wilson much worse than clearly the New York Jets did. I also was very high on Alabama quarterback Mac Jones, rating him just slightly, the very slightly behind Trevor Lawrence. And Jones, in my opinion, was the absolute steal of the past draft at the 15th slot. I also had reservations regarding Justin Fields and Trey Lance. They both have raw ability. That, that is so clear as day. The athletic ability, the, the tools that they, you know, the potential that they have, the ceiling is super high. Um, but I predicted mentally they would need some time to develop, and the jury is still out on both. So each episode, what I'll be doing is I'll either be highlighting one or two guys and going over those scouting reports. And then leading up to the draft, uh, I'll put together my final full list of rankings of the top quarterbacks coming out this year. Also, of course, we'll be keeping tabs on the transfer portal, recruiting news, and any other big stories that break within the college football universe. All right, so now moving on to the end of this week's episode, we will end, as always, with the one thing that I hate this week. And that thing for me, uh, I was playing a ton of darts this past weekend. My buddy was in town. Um, and we were drinking down in the basement bar here. I have a dartboard set up, and we were playing a ton of darts. And, and you know, on the dartboards, it's the metal rings that go around. 
hitting those metal rings and that dart flying off the dartboard after you know you threw it in the right area is one of the most infuriating fucking things that I have gone through recently. I gotta say, every time it hits that, I, I just shake my head and get pissed. Uh, and you just see the dart flying straight back at you. Um, it's just frustrating. The metal of that dartboard has been my enemy for the past couple of days, at least for this past weekend. So there you have it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of From the Basement Bar podcast. Look forward to those quarterback scouting reports coming up shortly. Thank you.